It's upfront and it's candid. This is Unrestricted. What is going on, everyone? Unrestricted is back. Yes, Unrestricted is back. Uh, Thank you guys for being patient with me. I had to take a little bit of a break. Uh, The football season got a little bit long. Uh, Doing college football, Viking stuff, doing podcasts during the week. Uh, I needed a little bit of a break. So I took a few weeks off, but now we're back. And we're back, hopefully, better than ever. I'll call this Season 2, Episode 1. Couldn't be happier that uh, Kyle Rudolph, 10-year NFL tight end for the Minnesota Vikings was um, able to sit down and talk to me and uh, it was fantastic. I I don't know about you guys but every time I hear Kyle um, he's a little reserved you know doing doing media interviews uh, very well spoken but you can tell um, you know there there are times where he just you know kind of wants to get through the interview and doesn't want to say too much Um, and I was a little bit worried that it would be sort of the same thing knowing that we were going to talk about the 2020 Viking season, sort of the disappointment that it was, and he's in an interesting situation with his contract. There's a lot of hot rumors out there about what may happen with his contract and his status on the team. So I was a little worried he wasn't going to give us much, but it was the complete opposite, and I could not have been happier with the way um, he was just so open and um, you know really talked about his true feelings and and has a great perspective on everything that's going on. He's he's very self-aware about where he he lies with the team and where the team from a business standpoint lies with him. And uh, I think you're going to find it super refreshing to hear Kyle in a in a way that I don't think that we've ever heard Kyle before in a, in a really long time. So I want to thank Kyle for sitting down, for being so open and honest with us, and I hope you enjoy his interview, and his time with me on Unrestricted. Well, hi, Kyle Rudolph. How are you, man? I'm good, Ben. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. You're my first guest um, back. I took a break. I did 14 of these episodes straight through the football season. Um, So 14 weeks straight during the football season. Um, you bastards did not go to the playoffs, and so my my job was over. And um, mine too. <laughs> so, so I decided, hey, if they're going to take a break, I'm going to take a break. Um, so, so thanks for being my first guest. I suppose we can call this for me season two of doing this podcast. But um, you're my first guest, so I really appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, how are you? How's you? So you ended the season with a foot issue. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you want to divulge um, all that all that information. We are we are out of the season, so it's not like somebody's going to target your foot. Yeah. But everything good? Like what happened? Yeah, everything's good. So I had uh, Liz Frank sprain. Um, was extremely fortunate that wasn't a complete tear. You know that that process is just miserable. Screws nine months rehab. You know, especially for someone at my point in my career, the last thing I want is a nine month rehab process. So I got extremely fortunate there. And, you know, honestly, we have the best medical staff around and, and they were spot on, you know, Dr. Kotsia's unbelievable foot and ankle guy. And, you know, he told me, he's like, you know, that you got a good chance of playing uh, by the last game of the year. And, and if we make the playoffs, you'll be good to go for the playoffs. So he was spot on and, and they were spot on with my rehab. And unfortunately, when it came time to get ready to get going again, you know, we were out of the playoffs. Um, so 
Um, I feel great now. I was ready for the playoff run. Uh, unfortunately, we obviously did not make that playoff run. So um, it's always good when, when you can rehab and, and head into the offseason healthy. It's not something that's going to nag and linger throughout the course of the offseason. Uh, certainly not having surgery is great as well, too. Yeah. Was that one of those injuries that when you, when it happened, you know, like, oh, shit, like this, th- this is more significant than just like an owie? Yeah, so like – it was the uh, second play of overtime against Jacksonville. And it's like, you know, from the beginning, it's like, we're, why are we even in overtime with the Jacksonville Jaguars? Right. Like they were 1-10 in 10 at the time. And it's just, you know, you play this game long enough. Uh, you know, I. it's funny because the week that happened, I literally during my press conference got asked about, you know, playing 98 games in a row and the streak closing in on 100. And I'm not a big believer in jinxes. I obviously – uh, been asked about this streak multiple times. You know, the Vikings did a pretty cool story when I hit 82 games. Right. Obviously, the relevance with my number. Yep. Um, so then here we are, uh, you know, 98 games, whatever, and, and we're in extra time. And, you know, you get tackled a million times throughout the course of your career, and this time you just happened to fall on my foot differently. And I felt uh, a pop right away. Oh, you felt the pop? Yeah, and I almost want to say I heard it. And so it was like – I knew something wasn't right, uh, so I walked off the field. You know, you kind of get your bearings because I don't want to say it, it like didn't hurt, but you know, during the course of the game, especially in overtime, your adrenaline's running. It wasn't one of those things where it was like immediate pain. So you know, I kind of get my bearings on the sidelines, and something just never felt right with my foot. Obviously, it felt unstable. Uh, so Suge checked me out, and you know they were like, "Yeah, it probably wouldn't be a great idea until we know what's going on to go back in." Thankfully, we went right down the field there and, and kicked a field goal to win the game. I was able to go back in for the field goal because I didn't have a whole lot to do but stand there. Right. Uh, so kicked the field goal. We won the game, um, and then yeah, it was like I said, I knew something was wrong. I uh, wasn't sure of the severity. Uh, and any time the term Liz Frank gets thrown around, oh, you know, yeah. it's it's yeah. not good. Um, so then obviously, like I said, our medical staff is as good as they come and, you know, they were able to clear everything up for me on Monday. And, and at that point it was like, all right, let's just attack this rehab process as quick as we can and get healthy as quick as possible. So, um, they had to do some protecting me from myself. Right. Uh, you know, I, I tried to go right away. You know, I, you play through stuff all the time. Um, and in this case, it was something that I could have made significantly worse. So they, they wouldn't let me quite try as much as I wanted to. Um, but, you know, like I said uh, to you before, they were spot on with timetable, you know, getting back for the playoffs. Unfortunately, we, we just missed the playoffs. Yeah. Um, it's fu- it's a funny thing that, that you go through mentally as a player that um, we always get dinged up. You know, mm-hmm. you're, there's always there's always something, and you're always telling yourself like, all right, I can I play through this? Like, you know, there's there is that badge of honor feel like, okay, I know guys know that I'm kind of banged up, but I got to kind of prove my my toughness, and yeah. I just got to go out there. But foot and ankle things are tricky, man. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the first like real foot injury that you've had? So in in 2013. I actually had a very similar injury. Um, I scored a touchdown against the Cowboys in Dallas, and Barry Church, when he came, I caught a ball down the seam, and you know he came from the post, uh, hit me at the goal line, and and he fell kind of over my shoulder. Yeah. Well, my foot was like up and on my toes yeah. behind me, and he landed right on my foot. So again, same foot, almost exact same spot. 
you know, with that time, I, I tore the ligaments outside of the Liz Frank joint. So it was between three and four and four and five. Yeah. Um, and I actually had two fractures that time. Ooh. So I, I missed the last eight games that year again, just on a, a freak thing where it fell on my foot and it broke. Uh, so exact same foot, almost similar mechanism of injury. Um, but that obviously was one where it was, you know, MRI and you go in a boot and they're like, nah, you're done. Like, I, I think, yeah, I that's no, that's IR. no playing through like that's no, like, not yeah. even a chance. Yeah. So, um, in 2017, I had a high ankle. We were playing at, at Carolina, um, week 14 and I got the high ankle. Um, you know, it was one of those things where, again, you go in Monday, MRI, how severe is it? Um, what further damage can I do? Um, and it actually reminded me of this week. Everybody's seeing the stories with like Michael Thomas, you know, yeah. he, he had it. Um, so deltoid tear, high ankle repair, like you got to have the whole deal fixed. And, uh, again, I, Dr. Kotsia has become one of my good friends over the last <laughs> yeah, few years. Yeah. Um, you know, he just, he looked at me and he was like, you can't make it worse. Like, and he has this funny South African accent oh, yeah. and he's like, you can't make it worse. So it's really up to you. If you can handle it, like go for it. Um, and, you know, I didn't miss a game. Like, we were – we won our last three that year to, to clinch uh, the division, a home playoff game. And, you know, we essentially tied for the number one seed in the NFC, lost the tiebreaker to Philly. Um, but, like, again, you said it's it's important to be out there with your teammates. And if there's any chance you can take the field, um, no matter how bad it hurts, like, as, as long as you're not putting yourself at more risk, you just go do it. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, a, a similar situation where at that point – Surgery was already coming. Um, I knew it was happening as soon as the season was over. Um, I couldn't make it worse, uh, and they let me go out and, and play. Well, you came into the league with a with a hamstring mm-hmm. issue, right? Like, didn't you tear yours right from the bone? Yeah. So, yep. I, my last year at Notre Dame, I, I tore my hamstring off the Ooh. pelvis, and God, it sounds so disgusting. It does sound so disgusting, but it's really like, I mean, I did it in in training camp that year. Played, I think, like the first three games kind of re-injured it and it was like it almost seemed as if I had like a nagging hamstring that kept pulling yeah and it was like why do I keep hurting my hamstring well it was the tendons were torn from the bone so you have three tendons that attach the muscle and I tore two out of the three so it's just kind of hanging on by a thread so how how they not catch that beforehand because like it was like I said we just thought it was a reoccurring hamstring you know I never had I didn't have an MRI right away like in the NFL as soon as you have anything they send you take a picture Um, so yeah, it was one of those things. I just kind of did it during training camp and then rehabbed as if it was a hamstring strain, um, played the first three games. I remember we played Stanford, uh, kind of re-injured it. And I was like, man, why do I keep doing this? Uh, and then two weeks later we played Pitt at home. And then finally they were like, let's get a picture. Like, let's see what's going on. And I remember to this day, like, Coach Kelly calling me. He's like, hey, stop up in my office. Like, I need to see you. I'm like, oh, that's not good. Like, why yeah. does the head coach want to see me? <laughs> he didn't ask for your playbook. That's no, good. <laughs> yeah, they don't ask for your playbook in college, but you still don't want to be like, why? We're going to go ahead and resend your scholarship. Yeah, why is the head coach wanting to see me after my MRI? And he was like, yeah, you, you tore your hamstring from the bone. And I'm like, so what does that mean? And like, well, you have to have surgery to fix it and, you know, this and this. And so – yeah, it was crazy times. Obviously, at that point, you're 21 years old. Like, you don't know near as much as you know after 10 years in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you kind of just, all right, like, here we go. Like, let's get it fixed, and, and we'll move on. Um, so, yeah, injuries, obviously, you play this game long enough, you 
you're going to deal with them. You know, everyone says the injury rate in football is 100%. 100%. Um, you're going to get hurt. Uh, I think one of the things that I've learned throughout my career, especially from something like that, uh, the, the soft tissue injuries are preventable. Um, somebody falling on your foot making a tackle, it's not preventable. No, like that's no, going to happen. No, have, Dak Prescott is. There's nothing. There's no. There's no pre-workout mm-hmm. <laughs> stretching. Yeah. Diet, <laughs> supplements, yeah. nutrition, yeah, it uh, workout. Matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it does. uh, but there are injuries that can be prevented, and I, I think that's part of the reason why I was able to play 98 games in a row and go six years without missing a game is because, you know, after those injuries that I had early in my career, I was like, all right, I need to do everything I can to make sure that. A, I get a little bit better luck and somebody doesn't fall on my foot. And B, I make sure that, you know, I can prevent these injuries that are preventable. So mm-hmm. I need to do everything I can to make sure each and every week I'm available to go out and play. Yeah. If you're not available, you're just, they're going to find somebody else. I mean, that's exactly. Just, it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you, if you live your life in the training room, they're going to be like, all right, we're going to find somebody else to, to play your spot. And he may play better. And you know, you never know. That's the beauty of the NFL. 100%. And, you know, I played for Coach Weiss uh, at Notre Dame. And obviously he was around uh, Coach Parcells a lot. And Coach Parcells has the famous saying that you can't make the club in the tub. Yeah. And it's true. You know, if you're not on the field, if you're not available, They'll find somebody else. You know, the the talent across our entire league is so even. Um, so much of it just comes down to opportunities. Yeah. You know, I couldn't help but think about um, you getting called up by by Coach Kelly into his office and just knowing how, I don't know, maybe I'm jaded, but I just think I know, I have a feeling how coaches like to think. He probably got that report and is like, man, I got to call him up to my office because not only is this serious news, but he needs to hear it from me because probably deep down inside he's like, God, what what a gigantic pussy. Like, how does he how does he keep getting hurt? Is he really hurt? And then then he's gotta call you in the office and be like, Yeah, you're you're really hurt. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a there's two two tendons that just torn off your bone. So he probably inside he was like, I owe it to myself to like stop doubting this player because I I feel like they all do that. And, unless unless a and bone is sticking out, they're like they all kind of look at you sideways, like, Well, what did you do wrong? Well, I, I tore my rotator cuff, and they're kind of like, hmm, okay, okay, so okay. Well, so when you, yeah, yeah, so are you gonna play or are you are you in or out? And I'm like, I, I don't know. We're trying to figure it out. Like, I tore my rotator cuff. Yeah. No, that's so true, and it's funny because you hear the saying all the time. Like, there's a difference between being injured and being hurt. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, we're all hurt. Every person, like, after the first week of training camp, every person on the roster is hurt. Yeah. It's inevitable. Like when you go smash each other's heads and do the things that we do in training camp, you're going to be hurting. Even your fingers. Like think think about like obviously you're a receiver, but you're also mm-hmm. like tight ends have to block. And like a you lot. get your you get your finger twisted up in training camp. Mm-hmm. That some bitch is going to last all year long. Like yeah. I, I don't care, you know, <laughs> you you could get that 10 days off from preseason game 4 to the to the first regular season game and that that sucker still is throbbing. Right. Yeah, I one of the things that I've noticed being a tight end like you said, fingers similar to what you deal with as a linebacker. Fingers, neck, shoulders, elbows like when you go and you know, especially this year, everyone thinks, "Oh, they didn't have preseason games." So they had, you know, way more time to to relax, way more time to like get ready. Pre- for a veteran player, preseason games are three days off during the week. You yeah. get the day before the game, mock yeah. game. You get the day of the game. You know, say you play one drive, two drives, a quarter. You know, you're not playing more than 15, 20 snaps in any of the games. Um, so then the day of the game is almost 
active recovery, if you yeah. would, and then the day after the game's off. So that's three out of seven days that are down days for you, if you would. And this year, you look at our off season or our training camp schedule for those four weeks. It was six out of seven days of practice. Yeah, and you're like, hold on, where did those other two days off yeah. go that I'm used to having? So you know, it was a little bit more of a grind than I think anyone expected going into week one this year because. I think everyone just globally looks at, oh, no preseason games. Like, sweet, that's more more time off. Yeah. That's why I, I, I'm i a big believer, not just because maybe of, a, of a, the old man adage and, and mentality, um, but when I look at what happened with the CBA, and you and I have kind of talked about this privately off, off air before, but I know that all these active players are saying, like, we need less preseason. And to your point, what you, what you said, I'm like, but think about that, what that means. Mm-hmm. Like that's more practice time. That's actually going to be more, more joint practices because coaches are going to find a way to get some competitive football. You can't right. you can't go ones versus ones on your own squad, you know, five or six days a week. It's just not it's just not what you want. Yeah. Um, you're going to figure each other out. It's it's just going to become this smash um, drill. We're just going to hit each other, and nothing's going to get accomplished. So they're going to find joint practices with other teams, and it's going to be become more more game like. And you're not going to get those days off. Right. Like, preseason games, as as ridiculous as they are for fans, and I know that fans hate watching the games. You almost want preseason games because it gives you those breaks. Mm-hmm. That's three days off for, right. for a starter mm-hmm. that you're essentially getting. Yeah. Not doing crap the day before the game. Fifteen, even if, you, even if you play into the third quarter, you're getting 30 snaps maybe. Right. And you know that it's like it's 100%, but it's not quite 100%. And then you get the next day off. Mm-hmm. Like you, it, It's an easier lifestyle for you to have preseason it, games. It makes a difference getting ready for week one for sure. And you know, do I think four preseason games is too much? Absolutely. Um, Three is probably the right number. I, I would. So my argument would be two. I think, um, especially the way we did training camp this year, we almost had two weeks of OTAs that kind of kicked us into training camp. So we reported the last week of July. You know, we had two weeks where it was almost we're going to condense phase one, two, and three of the off-season program right. into those two weeks. So. You know, start with the strength coaches only. Um, you're on the field. You're working out. You're running. You're lifting. Um, doing some football drills with the strength coaches, but obviously it's not practice. Um, and then you have meeting time. Then you work your way into phase two. And now it's work with the strength and conditioning coaches. Position coaches now can be on the field with you. So now you're doing football-specific drills, throwing routes on air, things like that. You know, as a linebacker, you're able to, you know, do your drops, uh, run fits, things like that. You're not hitting anyone yet. Mm -hmm. But now we're moving around on the field. And then obviously phase three is then like OTA practices, which is just regular practices in just helmets. So, you know, my ideal training camp would be that for two weeks. Uh, Because you think about normally you would have like two weeks of an intense training camp. Mm -hmm. Then you would play four four preseason games, and now that's six weeks. So you did that for two weeks, which kind of then bumps the two weeks of training camp to the first two weeks of August, now we go two preseason games. Everybody gets one home, one away. Right. You get one and a half, maybe one and three quarters to evaluate your roster. You're start. I mean, because like, how many plays do you need as a veteran to, to get ready to go play week one? Like, for me, I feel like the first game you get out there, you take a drive. The second game, you know, maybe we play two drives. 
we don't even really play a whole half in the third preseason game anymore. Like, yeah. nobody's doing that. Yeah. And really, honestly, like, after those first two preseason games, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to You're go. You're ready like, to go, yeah. I caught a couple balls. I got tackled. Like, I'm blocking somebody that's not giving up after the first three seconds. Like, they're going to chase the ball. Yeah. They can go make a tackle. So I feel like after, you know, for me, it's like, let me go play a half of football and, and then let's go. Like, let's go play games. And, you know, really this year, especially not having any preseason games, like, Aside from the rest, like, I didn't feel rusty going and play against the Packers. Like, oh, man, I didn't get tackled yet or, you know, like, you don't you don't really have that. So that would be my proposal is, like, everybody gets one home preseason game, one away preseason game. Um, you kind of – instead of having four weeks of training camp, two weeks of them are kind of um, acclimating you to then training mm-hmm. camp. Uh, and you have – you know, we always have that one – seven eight day grinding camp that's inevitable yeah uh and now here we are on the verge of our first preseason game so i think that would be an ideal scenario it gives young players an opportunity to play the game and a half game and three quarters that now allows them to have film because you know for me you look at preseason it's like all those guys this year have no resume uh some of them ended up on practice squads uh so they got another four months to prove themselves to improve to get better but they still don't have film. And yeah. as you know, throughout the league, you know, your resume is your film and 31 other teams don't get to see your practice squad film. They don't get to see what you did right. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, they only get to see your game reps. So, you know, I think they're at a bit of a disadvantage because of that. Yeah, it's uh, – two is uh, fine with me. I Almost to, to strengthen your point, I've always thought that three was probably the right number it, in that – the starters probably wouldn't play that, you know, the third preseason game becomes almost like your fourth preseason game, you know, or, or, or however you want to manage it. But just giving the young guys, like I think mm-hmm. about, I think about a lot of the rules in the NFL are, are made by the guys that are on the committees, yeah. which are the veteran players, which end up becoming the top 5% of the league when it comes to earnings, reputation, uh, longevity, respect, um, do they truly represent what's best for the other 95%? Right. And I would say I don't think they do a great job of doing that. Um, they look out for themselves. And in the bigger picture, the young guys need those reps. Mm-hmm. They they need game-like reps on film because Minnesota Vikings might not be the team that they end up playing for. It might be yeah. the team that, that gave them an opportunity. 100%. Um, but maybe their scheme doesn't fit. Maybe, they, maybe they're a cover two-corner, not a cover four-corner. And – you know, another team sees their tape and like, ah, we like that guy. Let's give that guy an opportunity. Yeah. Let's let's pluck him when he gets waived or whatever. I just think that's important for the development of the league. And whether it's two or three, I guess it, we're kind of splitting hairs. But um, to have no preseason games, yeah. you know, to have some of these veterans say like, we don't need preseason games. I'm like, yeah, maybe you don't. You know, maybe you don't. But, but you'd I think certainly like the time off. <laughs> yeah, you you'd like the time off of playing the games. Um, and I think your team is better. Because you always need the young guys to step up. I yeah. mean, look what happened to the defense this year. I know? will say this year, and it kind of surprised me. Obviously, everything was unique this year with um, the off season that we had, and I. So we had a completely virtual off season. The whole mm-hmm. um, normal off season of you know rookies coming in, having rookie mini camp where. These poor guys are drafted, uh, you know, they're on cloud nine, you know, top of the world. Uh, then they come in Thursday night after the draft and they th- an NFL playbook is thrown at them and they go to meetings Friday morning and they're on the practice field, you know, 12 hours later. 
they have no idea what they're doing. Like, they just got install one, two, and three thrown at them, and they're like, hold on a second. I just came from a college offense where I pretty much lined up in the same place every time, and now I have shifts and motions and all these different formations. And, you know, you want me to go out on the field and, and practice when the – you know, sensitivity is already extremely heightened during that rookie oh, yeah. minicamp. It's, you know, a bunch, of guys, a bunch of guys with their hair on fire, most guys trying to even, like, make an impression to, to stick around. Mm-hmm. So I felt like for, for us and for our young guys, they've never been more prepared when we came to training camp because, you know, you think about the progression that they went through throughout the course of the offseason. They had all these virtual meetings with the veteran players, but then they also had virtual meetings on their own where they're able to catch up to us and get mm-hmm. to the, you know, the install that we're at or um, you know, where we're at in the playbook. And then you just, you just keep hammering all this mental work before you touch the field at all. And then when we come back and it's the first day of that you know, acclimation acclimation period, yeah. period, we're going back to square one. So now we're starting at an install that you've probably gone through like three or four times as opposed to the first time that you hit the field you heard it for the first time mm-hmm. the night before. I just felt like our rookies were so much sharper this year, and, and mentally they all have the, the physical abilities. You wouldn't be at this point in your career right. without physical abilities. And I think a lot of times young guys you know, squander opportunities because you can't put them on the field. They don't know what they're doing. Right. Um, whereas this, it's like you know, really all of our young guys were – we're good to go. Like we didn't have to slow down. We didn't have to wait for anybody. Um, and you know, a lot of people will talk about Justin and the success that he had this year. Like, Oh man, he didn't have an off season. Like, like physically he has all the tools that are needed to go out and be a great player. Then you add the, the work that he was able to get mentally throughout the course of the off season. Like he was ready to go from the day we took, took the field in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, again, it's, it's kind of hard cause they're, like, do I am I sitting here advocating like, hey, we should have virtual offseason every year. We don't need to be there. Like, no. But at the same time, it's like, it really does kind of justify how important it is to mentally get these guys where they need to be before you just oh, they'll learn it on the fly. Like, we'll throw as much shit against the wall and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that doesn't really work. Like, these guys just seem to get more and more overwhelmed mm-hmm. because you are you're. You're trying to make the team or you're trying to make an impression. Um, you know, if you're a first round pick, you're trying to prove to everybody that you should be a first round pick. If you're an undrafted guy, you're trying to prove that you need to make the team. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like you just add that heightened anxiety with this whole new playbook. And I felt like this year our, our young guys were extremely sharp. What's going on, everybody? I hate to interrupt the conversation, but you know what? I have to thank my sponsors because without them, None of this is truly possible. So first off, I want to thank Douglas and Todd Bourbon. I've been with you guys for a long time, and I appreciate you sponsoring this podcast. If you don't know Douglas and Todd Bourbon by now, well, shame on you. It is a gold medal winning bourbon made right here in the great state of Minnesota. It's distilled in Osakis, Minnesota. It is bottled in Princeton, Minnesota, and it is sold not only here in this great state of Minnesota and regionally, but all over the country. It won a gold medal last year, actually 2018, at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. It was up against the best bourbons in the world, and it won a gold medal. So it's not just some kitschy, super fun, nice, cute, oh, how cute that Minnesota made a bourbon. No, 
this bourbon is legit, this bourbon is for real, and this bourbon is gold medal winning bourbon. So thank you so much, Douglas and Todd Bourbon. Please enjoy responsibly. 21 plus bourbon whiskey, 46.5% alcohol by volume, produced and bottled by Ed Phillips and Sons Company, Princeton, Minnesota. I also want to thank Pick and Shovel Wear, pickandshovelware.com. They have unique and creative apparel featuring all the Minnesota sports teams, the Loon, the Wild, the Wolves, Twins, Vikings, Gophers, even the Minnesota Chill. That's the uh, the ultimate disc team that's sort of new and up and coming. They offer shirts, hoodies, hats. They even have baby clothes. They have these little onesies that are super fun. And what they do is they pay homage or homage to current and former sports legends across the leagues. Basically, each and every design uh, just starts a conversation. And it kind of makes you smile because it, uh, it it elicits these memories and these great moments in Minnesota sports. For instance, every time I wear my Jimmy Kleinsaucer shirt, which is new, and, and a lot of them are sold out and they're getting more. So just hang in there. Go to pickandshovelware.com and you can get yours. But my Jimmy Kleinsaucer shirt, every time I wear it, I get questions. Hey, where did you get that? Hey, who made that? Or it's just like, Jimmy, love that dude. He was one of my favorite Vikings players of all time, and now uh, we get to honor him with a T-shirt. Those proceeds go to the West Tonka Food Shelf, so there's a, a little feel-good with that as well. Head over to pickandshovelware.com, check out their uh, all their great stuff, and type in the promo code LEBER, L-E-B-E-R, for 20% off your first order. So, last but not least, Wexford Harbor Insurance. I know what you're thinking. Insurance? What? Insurance is kind of boring. Well, guess what? It kind of is boring, but it's needed. I sat down with my buddy, Pat Kelly. I had been with big box retailer insurance companies my basically my whole life and just thought, hey, their insurance is probably good enough for me. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Pat sat down, educated me on sometimes those big blanket insurance companies leave kind of gaps in your individual coverage with your, with your home, your auto all of your personal property, your umbrella insurance, all of that stuff. It's not always the best fit when it comes to your individual family. And that's kind of what I learned as well is that, hey, maybe these big box insurance companies don't fit me and my family and our individual needs. And he's able, because he's an independent agent, to search 40 different types of companies to find out what's best for you. And by doing that, he finds the best value for you, the best coverage for you, and the best price for you. So now, if I ever need insurance, which I hope I don't, I'm going to be 100% stress-free knowing that I'm well taken care of and I'm getting it for a great price. So for all your home and auto and commercial needs, go to wexford-harbor.com unrestricted to find out more information. And Harbor is H-A-R-B-O-U-R, sort of the old English spelling of Harbor. Or you can just email them at info at wexford-harbor.com. Now, back to the show. COVID has obviously made every organization, out, even outside of Outside of football, we're talking Fortune 500 companies. Every every small business has had to has had to refocus on how to how to do things. And I think when it comes to football, I do think that it's not going to go back to the way it used to be mm-hmm. because of what you said. I think there's going to be some merit and there's going to be some benefits to doing things, maybe not virtually, because I think that they're everybody's still going to realize that we need our players to physically be together yeah. to build whatever chemistry that we need to build and to see these guys face to face. But I do think. And I would advocate advocate for less less grass time. 
You know, I'm fine if you guys want to check in the third week of April, do your phase one of just workouts, whatever. But when it comes time to actually learn football, let's not inundate these guys with saying, saying, okay, here's the install for today. And then now we're going to ask you to go out there and prove it on the grass for two hours and put you in these like super high intense workouts mm-hmm. and these, uh, these practice times. And, and that's not really maybe fair to you mentally yeah. to process what we just went over. Cause it is, it is intense. Like I, I still remember my rookie year, you get, you, you, you get there and they throw this three ring binder of pl- this huge playbook at you and you go through it and you're just trying to figure out what the guy's name is next to you, yeah. you know? And, um, and and so maybe the the off season becomes a becomes not virtual but way more classroom. Yeah. Like, hey guys, we're not even going to get on the field until June. You know, well, yeah. let's not even get on the field until OTAs. Like, let's not even. Maybe we, we might like walk and talk some stuff, but like we're not going to put you in an environment with your helmet on and like make you stressed out. Like right. we want the stuff to stick. Totally. <laughs> and I mean, think about throughout your career and you even had an extended off season than we've had since we started the new CBA where they cut it down to 10 OTAs and, and one mini camp. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine the days where it was 14 OTAs, multiple mini camps. Oh yeah. We checked in the third week of March. And it's like by OTA practice eight, nine, 10, the defense is scheming you. You're scheming the defense. Like we're not getting anything accomplished. Um, you know, they're really just a waste. And then you look at it. Okay, now we got three more days of minicamp, which in today's NFL, the new CBA, it's yeah. basically three more days of OTAs. Yeah. You can have extended meeting time if you want it. Um, you know, throughout our time here, it's essentially just been three more days of, of OTAs. And it's like, I mean, you see all these teams going bowling or going paintballing, like because like, they know they can't get anything yeah. more constructive accomplished it's like let's go do something chemistry building so i go back to your point of you know you can't have a complete virtual offseason because i think that chemistry side of things and that's what i missed most about last offseason was going to the facility shooting the shit in the locker room with the the guys like just hanging out like you know for us we'd hop on a meeting you're in the meeting for 90 minutes two hours and then you know you're off your ipad or your computer and like that was football for the day in a normal offseason you know, like we were talking about before, you you get there early, you have your cup of coffee, you hang out, you bullshit with the guys. You know, a lot of these guys you haven't seen for three months, so you you know you're catching up with what they did in the off season, and um, that's what I missed most was just being in the locker room, being around the guys, uh, building that chemistry with new players, young players. Um, but to your point, like that can all be done and still slow down the the grass time, if you would. Yeah, no, I. You just bring a smile to my face because, you know, I've th- this coming up season will be the the tenth year I've been out, so I've been, I, I'll be out of football as long as I played football, and I still, I, I still love the idea of the off season. I love the off season. Mm-hmm. I lo- I I enjoyed like I looked forward to checking back in whenever we had check in because. You know, we're gonna we're gonna get a workout in the morning. I was always in the early lifting group. I was just like one of those guys that just get up and get it done. Um, you know, all my buddies were in the early lifting group. Uh, we we lift, we condition. You know, you might do a little bit of a little bit of classroom work, and but you're hanging out, mm-hmm. and it's it's way less stress and way less of a grind than the season. Totally. Um, but you feel like you're accomplishing something. Like mm-hmm. my day felt so productive, and I was out of there by noon. Yeah. You know, I was out of there maybe by eleven o'clock, and I'm like. I just put in a full day, you know, in football terms, mm-hmm. and I still have the whole rest of the day left over, and I got to hang out with my buddies. Yeah. And, like, I, I don't know. I I've, I miss that so much, um, you know, the, the off-season locker room feel. Um, but I do want to touch on, like, 
this is a, this was an off season and a season unlike unlike anything that we've ever seen with with anything. Mm-hmm. How was it? How really was the the grind of of the day to day during the yeah, course? Yeah, I'd of the say, season? and that's exactly it. It was a a grind with the daily protocols. Um, you know, we're so routine oriented as athletes. Um, you know, oftentimes I catch myself on like a Friday, for instance. Uh, for me, I get in early, I get my lift out of the way. Uh, Friday's usually like our weigh-in day, so one of the strength coaches are in the locker room on the scale, getting guys as they come in. Uh, and I'd sit there and just shoot the shit with, you know, Derek Keyes is our strength coach yeah. that we've had for years that has been that guy on Fridays. Before that, it was, you know, Canavia in the weight room. And yeah. Like, that's just kind of become my routine on Friday. Like, get all my work done, then just hang out, and then it's meeting, I think our first meeting's at like 9 o'clock on Friday. Well, I'd catch myself sitting there, and all of a sudden it's like we're in the 9 o'clock meeting, and I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot my COVID test. Like, because the, the trailer wouldn't open. Usually, uh, you know, like 6.30 would be when a lot of the nurses get there, and they start – most of the guys are coming in after 6.30, so, you know, they would just get their test and then go in the building. Well, I had already been there for an hour or so, and you get into your routine that you've done for 10 mm-hmm. years on Friday – and I'm like, oh, man, I forgot my test. So you got to run out to the trailer, get your test. Uh, we always had a test before 1030. Um, so that way we, they could get them shipped out and they could get the results for the next day. So that was more the grind of, you know, waking up, checking your email, filling out your app that has all the health yeah. questions. You know, have you left the country in the last 14 days? Obviously not. I've been in football. Yeah. Um, we're not allowed to leave the facility, really. Um, you know, we get tested every day. You know, do you have these symptoms? Have you been around anyone that has COVID? So, you know, answering that questionnaire every morning before you come in the building. Um, you know, remembering your contact tracer. Uh, it, it seems like something so dumb and little, but again, it's you're so used to a routine that you've done forever. Taking my contact tracer out of the thing that I had on my wrist and putting it in my jersey for practice and then remembering to take it out of my jersey before the jersey goes in the laundry, like – those are things that so you, you guys like a little pocket in your jersey. Yes, yeah, so there was just a pocket. little uh, a pocket in the back of the jersey. And you know, nowadays we have GPS and things like that that yeah. they're putting on us anyway. So it literally just went in that same pocket as your GPS. Um, but again, like all of a sudden, you like take your jersey off and throw it in the laundry, and you're like, oh shit, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> contact tracer's in there, and it's not waterproof. So if it's going in the laundry, it's it's ruined. Yeah, it's ruined. Like you got to get a new one. So I, those the daily protocols and the things that you never did before, um, but were important to not only our team's success, but for the league to yeah. to play 250 games, however many we played without missing one. Uh, you know, for us, I think we did such a good job with our protocols that there's a reason why we only had three players that got it, and each time that a player got it, it was one player and not five or ten or fifteen. Right. right. Um, you know, you, you see some of the teams that had outbreaks and then it comes out that, you know, they weren't following the protocols that were put in right, place. So right. um, obviously having Shug's on that committee and on the board and, you know, we, we'd rip on him all the time because, you know, it's Shug and, you know, he, he's doing his job. But at the same time, it was a pain in the ass, some yeah. of these things that we had to do. But if you would have told me in July that not only are we going to get back to work, but we're going to play every game on time and be, you know, in the championship round of the playoffs with no delays, I'd have bet a lot of money that that wouldn't happen. Right. Um, And here we are as the only sports league, professional, college, international, that hasn't missed a single game or any time. You know, we haven't taken a break. Yeah. 
Uh, so it, it, the protocols, although they were super annoying um, and at times forgot, they were important. And I think it's why we were able to, to get every game in. So what did they tell you guys when it came to your personal lives? Like, it, was it really is what they reported? Like, you go to you go to work and you go, and you home, go home and you have, like, and you know, maybe go to a restaurant to pick up food for you and your family. But, mm-hmm. like, it, that was it? Like, A to B and that's it? Yeah, I mean, that's that was the safest way to go about it. You know, even got to the point where, you know, they, they discouraged out-of-town guests. You know, obviously we couldn't have fans at games. So, you know, mom and dad, family coming in town for games, friends coming in town. There, there was no reason to come in town because mm-hmm. they couldn't go to the game anyways. Um, but it got to the point, it was like, as the year went on, you know, protocols seemed to get more and more intense. Obviously they would add certain things to the protocols and, you know, it really got to the point where with around the holidays, they were very worried about out of town family coming Mm -hmm. to us. And, you know, the league did a great job. You know, they provided us kind of a step-by-step routine, like, okay, you want mom to come for Christmas, have her go to CVS, get a test three-day quarantine, travel, um, then, you know, we'll provide a test when she lands and then quarantine 24 hours, boom, you're good. So they did, you know, the the protocols kind of got more and more intense as the year went on. Like it eventually got to the point where, you know, if you're a tier one, tier two individual, legally we're not allowed to be together outside of the building. Um, So guys coming over for Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was always something that I enjoyed getting, you know, some of the other tight ends or buddies together that didn't have somewhere to go on Thanksgiving, have them over the house, you know, cook up a nice meal, again, hang out. You couldn't do that, you know, get together the offensive line for, you know, ugly sweater uh, Christmas dinner. Can't do it. You're not allowed. Um, So a lot of those things were taken away. Uh, But again, like I said, if you would have told me that we were going to play every game and play every game on time with no delay, I would have said you're crazy. So, you know, the protocols that were put in place, although a pain in the ass, they worked. And, you know, know, unfortunately, we're sitting here watching the playoffs, but the league is in the championship round and it looks like we're going to continue on and have a Super Bowl on February 7th when planned, which is just absurd to yeah, think about. Yeah, it's crazy. So you bring up the season. Obviously, you guys aren't playing it. And I know this is a really generic, general question, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm sure the listeners want to know from your perspective, like, where do you think the failures were this season with this team? Um, is it is it truly the open and obvious things? Like, hey, high-powered offense. You guys are – it took a little bit of time to kind of get everybody in sync first couple weeks of the season. But then after that, you guys finished, what, top five offense mm-hmm. in the league. Um, and it came down to defense. You know, historically one of the worst defenses put together for a lot of reasons, youth, um, injuries, stuff like that. How did you evaluate the season and where did it sort of, I guess, kind of go wrong? I think it's easy from 10,000 feet to – look at the 2020 Minnesota Vikings and, you know, echo exactly what you said, high-powered offense, young, inexperienced defense, um, a lot of miscues on special teams, and, and say that was the problem. But, you know, for me, I can only speak for the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not in the defensive meetings. I'm not in the special teams meetings. Um Lucky. Well, I, mean, I, I do well, go to the hands team and protection, field goal. Yeah. Field goal protection and hands team. I'm in those. That's it. Um, and even those, I, I joke around with our special teams coordinator that was here for the last two years and, and Marwan, and I'd be like, okay, I, I block the guy that runs into me on field goal, and I catch the ball if it's kicked to me on hands team. Like, what do we got all these meetings for? Yeah, what what yeah. are we doing here? Um, but, but to your point, I feel like it's easy to sit back and be like, well, we had a 
top five offense. Like, you know, we should have won more games. But if you go back and you look at, especially starting one and five, um, I feel like it's unfair to not put some, if not most of the blame on us as an offense, giving the ball away, um, giving up points. Uh, you think back to the Green Bay game and, you know, we're backed up, chance to make a big play and we take a safety, um, you know, safety against the Colts. You know, we're, yeah. we're giving away points to a already unexperienced and young defense um, and then, uh, you know, the obvious one is giving the ball to the other team. I, I felt like you saw between week seven and week 12 what happens when we take care of the ball as an offense and, and our defense gets to go out and defend an entire field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, yeah, they're young, they're inexperienced, but at the same time, when we're not giving the ball to the other team, you know, the first play of the game against the Atlanta Falcons, who are one and five, just fired their head coach. Um, you know, you know how it is when you play in those games. Like, you got to start fast and you got to get on them early, or else they're going to have excitement and energy. And that's exactly what you don't want with a one and five football mm-hmm. or a one and four football team. So, I felt like it's it's unfair to to put all the blame on a young, inexperienced defense when offensively you look at our offense and you have all the guys that we have on offense. We could have done so much more aside from just statistically being a top five offense. I feel like it's so easy to just look at statistics and be like, oh, we're a top five offense. But, you know, there are certain times throughout the course of games where, you know, our defense gets a big stop against the Dallas Cowboys and we have an opportunity to go down and score. It's not the last drive of the fourth quarter, but maybe it's the second to last drive. And we don't do it. Um, So I feel like, yeah, we were good on offense, but – all we had to do was win one more game, and yeah. we were in the playoffs. As bad as things were, we are one game away from the playoffs, and you can't tell me that um, we can't look at ourselves as an offense and say we didn't play a part in a lot of those games. You know, I, I just – I think back to so many situations, especially those first six weeks where it's like, man, like we, we really did our team a disservice, especially our, our defense in um, putting them in some of the situations that we put them in. Well, and that's, I think, the toughest part. You know, I've been a part of seasons where we, we just missed the playoffs by a game, and I've been a part of a 4-12 and 12 season where it was like it was over. You know, yeah. by the time, you know, we get to Halloween, it was like, okay, we're not, we're not a very good team. And, um, you know, both are equally hard to stay mentally in it, but the ones like this season when you mourn the offseason because you're doing exactly what is natural. You think about, shit, man, well – if we just had to win one more game, well, then it could have been one more play. It could have been one more series. All we had yeah. to do is execute that one play. We're in the playoffs. Like when it comes down to that close, um, it eats at you and it sucks mm-hmm. because if you're out by Halloween, you're like, well, it didn't matter anyway. You're like, hey, we finished the game. We finished season four and twelve, and uh, well, we just weren't a good team. You can't go back to a, a fourth and one in Seattle that if we convert, <laughs> we're in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. You, you look at you know, Zim trusting us as an offense, again, like you look at our team and a lot of the veteran leaders and guys that are getting paid a lot of money were on offense. So why wouldn't he go for it on fourth and one? Like, I know he took a lot of heat about that decision, but it's fourth and one. Like, we got to get that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, against get... a defense that was not playing very well. Not at all. Yeah. Um, and we went up and down the field all game. Again, like, 
you go beyond the fourth and one, I think about how we started the second half of that game. You know, turnover, turnover, and all of a sudden we just spotted an offense that was playing pretty well at the time, 14 points. It's like we had the game put away. We just needed to keep doing what we did the whole first and second quarter, um, and, and it's over. But even with that being said, you know, we fight back in the fourth quarter and we have the ball with a lead in plus territory, and we don't convert a fourth and one. And, yeah. and you convert that, now we're a couple kneels away from a win in Seattle against an undefeated Seahawk team, and, and that's one win. So right. that puts us in the playoffs. Well, think about what that does on the road against a team, a team like that. You know, that really does matter. It's not just it's not just hyperbole or just a buzzword. Like, that momentum really does carry over. You you start to build on it. You're like, hell yeah, we're a good football team. We right. went to their place. So you come home and you're not one in four – with a tough loss on the road in Seattle, um, you know, flying back after a Sunday night game, oh, getting home at 6.30 Monday morning. Um, you probably don't lose to the 1-4 and four Atlanta Falcons the next week either. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, you can say, well, you got to put it behind you. Uh, you know, one game is one game. All the, you know, phrases that are used all the time in, in our business, like, yeah, it is what it is. It was one game you got to move on, you got to play. But like you said, momentum is real. Mm-hmm. And when you go out there, a place that we've never won at since I've been here, that's, I think the only NFC team I haven't beaten in 10 years is the Seahawks. Um, that's a big deal. And then you come home and, you know, maybe that role that we went on where we won five out of six would have started two weeks earlier. And now you're talking about winning eight out of nine, seven out of eight. So – it is. That's what you kind of do in the off season. You go back and, especially when you're one game away from the playoffs, you look yeah. at every drive, every play, every loss, and, and how it could have been different. Yeah, especially when football's still going on. I mean, it's a little easier once the Super Bowl's over and everybody, everyone's done, everybody's done, and collectively the whole NFL is taking a big deep breath. And you're like, okay, I can kind of mentally get away. But then you're watching the games this week, and you're like, God damn it! Like we're as good as that team. Like oh, well, we, we beat Green Bay. Yeah, Green I know. Bay, uh, yeah, and they're hosting the NFC Championship yeah, game. Yeah, and it's just, like so that's hard. I know. Um, the Kubiaks, obviously um, a big storyline from this year. Um, from, again, to use the 10,000-foot the, the deal, as a fan, you know, this this offense was as productive and more productive than it was last year. Um, you know, Kirk had another great year. Mm-hmm. What I know, there's, I know that there's differences because it's a different personality. It's a different guy calling plays. From the inside, what was different with, with Gary kind of truly at the helm, calling plays, running the offense, installing the offenses? Um, I think it's just different personalities. Um, I said this from the day that Kevin took over in, in 2018 for the last three games of the year. You know, I'm not surprised by his success in Cleveland because he knows how to command a room. He mm-hmm. can stand in front of an offense and, you know, hold the attention of the, you know, 25, 30 guys that are in that room and all the coaches. And he, he I'm not surprised that he went to Cleveland and, got the attention of everybody in that organization. Like, hey, man, here's how we're going to do things. Here's how we're going to go. Here's how we're going to win football games. And they did it. They went out and did it. Um, And to the other side with Gary, you know, he's the same way. Like, you look at the success that he's had throughout his career, obviously much different than Kevin. Kevin, a young guy, um, you know, I wouldn't say Gary's not relatable as a young person, but, I mean, like, Kevin's damn near my age. Like, we're and I had him as a position coach for two years. So, obviously incredibly relatable. But Gary made himself relatable to every player in in that offensive room and every coach. And uh, although I think, you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat, it couldn't be more true with Gary and Kevin. And the differences in their personalities, the way they do things, 
But at the end of the day, both of them can stand in front of our offense and be like, hey, here's, here's what we need to do. Here's how we're going to go win this week. Um, you know, stand in front of the offense on Saturday night and tell us, you know, what we're going to go out and do the next day. Uh, I think both of them are, are very, very good at that. Um, you know, obviously Gary retiring this year, moving on. You know, we don't know what's going to happen on offense. It'll be my fifth coordinator in five years, and I think my sixth or seventh one in 11 years. So, um, you know, we kind of just become used to change on offense. Yeah. It's like every year it's a new coordinator, uh, not necessarily a new system, but it, it's a new personality that you're getting used to a, as a play caller. Um, and particularly, it's a new person in Kirk's ear on Sundays. And it's got to be hard on Kirk to, to build a rapport with that guy mm-hmm. that's in his ear every Sunday calling plays and getting a feel for his play caller when it's changing every year. Um, so – you know, hopefully we can have some continuity on offense and, and build off what we did last year. You know, the one thing that came up at the end of the year was this idea that our offense, as productive as it was, wasn't creative. And and to that I sort of I sort of pushed back publicly and I said, Well, do you want the offense to be doing pirouettes like the Kansas City Chiefs on a pre-snap motion, mm-hmm. like is that creative? Like I don't know if it's creative because they the guys just end up in the in the same spot anyway. Right. Um, what's it really doing? But there is nuance to creativity. There's nuance to um, shifts, motions, maybe a different look, maybe a different personnel group, maybe putting guys in different spots. Um, how did you feel the offense was when it, when it comes to creativity? Like. Does it need to be creative? Like, does it have to be creative? Do you have to push the boundaries with that stuff? And where were you guys this year? Uh, with that? I think, to your point, like, you know, that creativity is what you want to make it. Um, you know, creativity is us hanging our hat on the zone run scheme with Dalvin Cook, and then um, all of a sudden you think it's a zone run and it's a play action, it's a boot, it's a keeper. Um, that's creativity. Um, so as long as you're possessing the football, making first downs, scoring touchdowns, you know, who cares if you pirouette the entire backfield and, and line up in a formation that maybe we just shift one guy to and we're in the same formation. Um, you know, I thought we did a, a great job expanding our run game on the scheme that's been in place for the last 25 years. Um, obviously you look at every back that's ever played in this system they've had a lot of success and you know I don't mean just go out there and run for seven eight hundred yards most of them rush for over a thousand yards most of them end up in the Pro Bowl Um, and there's quite a few guys that have finished their career with Super Bowls and championships that have played running back in this in this system so um, I think to say like it's not creative well, who cares? Um, as long as you possess the football, you make first downs. You know, for us, like I, I talked about before, if we eliminate the things that hurt our football team, especially early in the year, and then, you know, look at when we kind of hit a skid then again at the end of the year, if we don't put our defense in those situations, if, if we don't flip the field on, you know, for our special team, you know, allow them to, to, to flip the field on punt, stuff like that, you know, who cares if we're sitting here talking about creativity because I'm, I'm probably not sitting here on the podcast with you. We're, we're getting ready to play in an yeah. NFC championship game. So uh, the system is obviously tried and true. Um, you know, are there nuances and, and things that we can build on? Absolutely. I mean, just look at what Kyle Shanahan has done in San Francisco. Look at Matt LaFleur has done, Sean McVay. Those guys have all taken this system that's been around for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And they are getting a little more creative. They are adding nuances, but – 
you know, I think this year we did as good a job as anybody. Obviously, having a running back like Dalvin certainly helps. Um, but you, you look at some of the nuances that we built on, especially in the run game in 2019, you know, you have to do that, especially when everyone knows you're going to run the right. football. Um, you know, I think back to the NFC Championship game last year, the success that San Francisco had running the ball um, late in the year against us in the divisional round. You know, Green Bay going to San Francisco, I guarantee the first thing they talked about in their defensive meeting on Wednesday was we have to stop the run. Yep. Yet Jimmy 100%. threw the ball like eight times and they didn't stop the run. And that takes creativity. Um, do they do crazy motions and shifts? Like, no, absolutely not. But there are so many nuances and, you know, things for you as a defender that may catch your eye for a split second that have absolutely nothing to do with the ball hitting mm-hmm. off tackle. That's creativity. Um, and I think we did a great job of that this year. Um, and I and I would say that that's, that's sort of the reason why I would push back a little bit publicly because I think – and I get it. You know, fans, fans see new, they see something shiny, mm-hmm. and they think, well, why not us? Why can't we do that? Um, and to that, I would say, like, I think there's some merit to that. They, you know, you're giving the defense a little something to look at, but what's the final look? If the final look ends up being the same formation you guys ran that play out of mm-hmm. anyway, like – then it's not really that creative. You made it's just it's just window dressing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I was I don't know I I was just kind of like confused why everybody was like I, I looked at our offense and to what you said about turnovers. If you guys take care of the football a little bit more, all of a sudden this top five offense is is a, a truly a winning offense. Mm-hmm. And you're not and it's not just numbers for numbers' sake. It's like hey these are equating to wins and that's yep. what everybody wants the numbers to reflect. Um, so yeah, and and then you then you mentioned you know Gary. Um, I don't know if he's has he completely stepped away. I thought he was still kind of like in a holding pattern or whatever. But the the point is, if Gary's gone, what it, for continuity's sake, if they want to elevate Clint, what would a guy like a young-minded Clint Kubiak bring to the table in your perspective as as an offensive coordinator? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, again, it, it brings that continuity that we talked about. Like, yeah, you are changing coordinators again. There is a new play caller in Kirk's ear for the fourth year in a yeah, row. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, like, we are, again, having carryover. And, you know, I don't know Gary's situation exactly, you know, where he's at, what he wants to do. Um but, I mean, I know that he loves being around. He, he loves everything that comes along with, you know, going to work every day and trying to make our offense as good as we possibly be. You know, from, from my perspective, again, I don't know anything and what he's thinking. I just don't think he wants to be a full-time coordinator anymore. You know, yeah. he's done it forever. Um, you know, I think he's more looking to what he did in 2019. Like, again, you talk about stepping away from the game, like, that takes a whole lot more than just not being a coach. Like, now you're not around the fellows. For mm-hmm. them, like, their staff, like, they're not in meetings all day with each other. Like, those, especially look at our staff. Like, these are guys that he's been with for a long time. So, you know, is he around in some capacity? I have no idea. I would bet money like yeah probably um but again it would be big from a continuity standpoint to keep the same system you know now we get to build on it for the second off season you know we last year we had an opportunity to build on what we did in 2019 although Kevin was calling plays we were running Gary's offense and Mm -hmm. all the terminology was was Gary's uh system so that wouldn't change obviously um so I think that would be big for us as an offense 
How about Clint's personality? You talk about an offensive coordinator with Stefanski and Gary going up to the the, the room with a whole bunch of highly paid egos mm-hmm. and um, trained offensive players that know the game, a bunch of veterans that know the game. I mean, Clint's a young guy. Does he, yeah. does he does he have sort of the intestinal fortitude and the and the wherewithal to command a room? You know, I, I don't obviously I don't know Clint as well as I knew Kevin being around him for eight years before he took over as our coordinator and two of which I had him in my own room. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, so as the quarterback coach, you know, your opportunity to be in front of the team is uh, Fridays, they do the red zone install, you know, typically throughout my career, the, the quarterback coach has always been the guy that gives us the red zone scouting report, the breakdown, uh, things that we're going to try to exploit. Uh, and then the coordinator steps up and he goes through the install. So, um, you know, Clint, each and every week uh, for the last two years, you know, was incredibly prepared. You know, he's well-spoken. Um, obviously, he's been around coaching his entire life. Mm-hmm. He's been around his dad. He's, he's been around the game. Um, he happens to be a former safety, just like Kevin as well. Um, but, you know, basing it off what he did on Friday mornings, like, absolutely. You know, he always was well-spoken and had a command of the room while he was up there presenting. So, um you know, does that translate to every day for six months? Like, I don't know. Um, but I can say based on the small sample size, like, sure seems like it. Yeah. And and I do think that, you know, continuity is so important. And you guys have gotten better and better each year. Um, Kirk. Kirk's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I know that you guys, you, you hear it, you feel it. Um why does he? Why do you think that he faces so much heavy criticism on a day to day basis? Is is it because he's just white bread? I mean, I I know that that's. I know everybody wants this this larger than life personality. They want the Philip Rivers. They want the Brett Favre. They want this. They yeah. want the total package. They want you to have the the balls to be a gunslinger, the smarts of Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know the the calmness and coolness of Tom Brady. They all every team wants that player, yeah. um, and and Kirk is who he is. Like that's mm-hmm. his personality. He's white bread. He's he's kind of a dorky dude, but he's really good. So I, I is yeah, it just I that? Like how do you how do you why why does he face so much criticism? I think every it boils game? down to wins and losses when you make that much money. Um, when you come into a team that was in the NFC Championship game, right, wrong, or indifferent. And I always say this all the time. Quarterbacks get way too much credit when you win games, and they take way too much blame when you lose games. Um, There are 10 other guys on the field on offense that have to do their jobs and play at a high level so the quarterback can have success. And then there's also two other phases that have to go out and do their job. So, you know, it's unlike any other sport where there are – in my opinion, right now on this planet, maybe three guys that can go out and it doesn't matter what they have around them. Um, it doesn't matter what their defense does. They'll go out and they'll win a football game for you. Maybe three. Um, but that's what everybody expects because Kirk's making that kind of money. And he's making that kind of money because look at the quarterback market. It dictated that he makes mm-hmm. that kind of money. Everyone's making that kind mm-hmm. of money. So I feel like he gets so much more of the blame based on our wins and losses over the last three years. And even before he came here when he was in Washington, you know, well, he's making this kind of money. You know, why aren't they winning more? Why aren't they going to the playoffs? Well, it's it's not always his fault. And it's not 
correct to just throw all the blame on the guy that's making a ton of money. Um, so I think it comes down to a wins and losses thing. You know, it, it is what it is. You, you, as a team, until we go out, and I said this last year when the whole shtick was he can't win a big game on the road in primetime. Well, we go to Dallas and we win the game. Um, now you don't hear about that anymore. You know, Kirk can't win on Monday night. Well, we won on Monday night, and now mm-hmm. that's gone. So until you go out and, and win games and kind of take that respect by winning football games, you can put up all the numbers you want. And throwing for 400 yards against the 5-10 and 10 Detroit Lions uh, week 17 – it's awesome. He played incredible, but nobody's going to give him credit for that because no. it was against the five and ten Detroit Lions. Uh, until you go out and you do that in a wild card round, um, you know NFC division round, NFC championship, you know they they don't want to give you the credit because, mm-hmm. like I said, they much rather dish the blame because you didn't win the Super Bowl. You, you didn't win, so you know that's the only way to fix the narrative. And you know, like I said before, until you go out and and do it. You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, that doesn't mean he's not super talented. You know, I think back to the the throw that he made to Adam. You know, a wild card round oh, New Orleans. Yeah. Everyone talks right about before the, your catch. Everyone talks yeah. about the catch to win the game, and but you know, we're not down there in that situation if he doesn't make an unbelievable throw. But nobody wants to give him credit for that because we went to San Fran the next week. We lost. You know, so right. until you go out and reach the mountaintop you know you look at all the guys that like I was mentioned before the say three guys that can doesn't matter what they have around them they're going to make it work they've all been to the top before right and until you get to the top it's you're going to get criticized well and that's so and, and I'm I'm 100% with you which is also why I I'm a supporter of Kirk not not blindly like I know that he's got his warts like I get it like are there times where I look at him in the huddle I'm like he doesn't seem like the most inspiring guy in the huddle and you know I know that he's just like trying to be even keel um and then there are times where I see him where he's you know whatever dirt Kirk or whatever you guys have that nickname for him where he he's a little more intense he 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 it looks like he's got a little bit more of the fuck it mentality which I mm-hmm. think you need to have sometimes to play football um stop worrying about your your perception and just go out there and be a dude um I think that he should show more of that I I see all of that um but to your point as a fan base what do you want like you're not going to go get Aaron Rodgers that guy doesn't that, nobody has found that guy Another guy like that in the draft mm-hmm. or otherwise. Um, good luck finding a Tom Brady. Good luck finding a Russell Wilson right now. Yeah. You know, everybody is right now saying, "Well, we want Deshaun Watson. Patrick we want Mahomes. we want like, Patrick Mahomes. We we want these uh, we want these other guys. You know, we want the Josh Allen's. Like, yeah, there's some good players out there, but you're not going to get those guys. Mm-hmm. And and there are only like three or four guys that can do it at that level. Yeah. So I don't always think the grass is always greener. Right. And and so for everybody, this loud fan base that just says, we need to move on, I'm like, but what's your backup plan? Mm-hmm. Is your backup plan to draft somebody in the first round? Because that has a higher failure rate than than than, find, than than keeping Kirk around and just developing and hoping that he doesn't turn the ball over a few more times or the, de- the defense can step up. You yeah. know, like I, I'm, I'm just kind of like trying to take a sensible look at this and say – What's the alternative, guys? Guys, you know, what is the alternative? What, you want to give up a bunch of draft picks and and, and neuter your team to get Deshaun Watson? 
you, yeah, you're going you're gonna to get him, and what are you going to do with all with no draft picks the next two or three years? You have to have draft picks when you're paying a quarterback that type of money <laughs> right. because you have to have. And I said this last year when we drafted 15 guys. If you have a quarterback making, you know, who knows what the salary cap is going to be next year? But I, you know, I think Deshaun's cap number isn't quite as high as it will be the following year when it jumps up into like the 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you have these quarterbacks that are making 35 plus million dollars a year. You have to have a bunch of guys that are playing on rookie deals. You have to. You have to. Yeah. So if you then say, well, we'll give up a bunch of draft picks to go get a guy that we think we can win with, now you're taking away the the support system, if you would, for that guy to have success. So, again, like I said, the criticism is always going to come. You know, that you asked, like, what does this fan base need? They need a championship. Mm-hmm. We were one game away from the Super Bowl before Kirk came here, and Kirk was brought here to win us a championship. Um, you know, I've said that time and time again. Like, my only goal with this organization is is to win a championship. I've been, you know, in the playoffs a few times. We've won some games. You know, obviously in seventeen we were one game away from a Super Bowl. So you feel the energy and the vibe that's created when this team is making playoff runs and what a championship would mean not only to our organization but to the Twin Cities, to the state of Minnesota, and to Vikings fans. And, you know, it, it was really palpable in 2017 when we were one game away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just remember, you know, going out to dinner in YZ with Greenway, and he was like, bro, like, are you kidding me? Like one game, you know, of course it was his first year out. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, dude, you're one game away. Like, and you just, you could feel the vibe around here and how much it means to this fan base. And, you know, for me, that's why, that's the only reason I'm here. Now, personally, it's not because of the way I'm used. Obviously it's not a lot. Um, I just block every play pretty much. Um, you know, I, I think I'm more than capable as a pass catcher and, and I don't get to do it anymore, quite honestly. So, the only reason that I'm still around and, and still do the things that I do is because all I want to do is win a championship. Right. Um, so that's what it's going to take. Yeah. And the day that we have that parade and Kirk's on one of those buses with no roof and, you know, whether he's you white think bread you, Kirk or chugging beers Kirk. I like, was going to say, do you think he's chugging a beer? Uh, he'll probably be in some, <laughs> like – north face jacket like you know (laughs) super conservative but you know maybe that is when all of a sudden you see this guy that we've never seen before because at this point he can literally just say like fuck you to everyone yeah i'm on the mountaintop and you know no one thought i'd ever get here that's what it's going to take yeah i would love to see a glassy-eyed kirk up there giving some sort of podium speech after the parade and and he's just point two yeah (laughs) that would be the best the best that would be the best you know, you see these these moments, especially over the last few years. You know, I, ones that jump out to me are like the Kelsey brothers. You know, yeah. Jason and Philly and his Jester outfit. Travis just yeah, probably higher than point two. Um, yeah, you know, just giving a speech. Like, you know, I, that's what I think about all the time. You know, like in February, it'll probably be negative ten in Minnesota. Yet this entire state. Oh my God! There'd be hundreds be of thousands of people outside. outside. Oh yeah. Um, and, and and that's that's what I do it for. Yeah, it it kind of gives me goosebumps just thinking about what the the attendance and the energy that would be felt at a at a Super Bowl parade mm-hmm. on Nicollet Avenue. I mean, yeah. it it would be uh, it would be inc- it'd be an incredible. Um, you know, you've mentioned it quite a few times, just kind of like your your new role and you know your role with the team. And I know that you get asked this all the time, but like 
you're a realistic guy. Um, you know, you see, you see for what it is. Um, how, how do you think the team approaches your situation in the next few months? Um, I'm not really sure. You know, obviously I, I'm realistic. I see both sides. Um, you know, if, if I were the Wolves, if I were Rick, you know, I'm looking at this situation like, hey, we're, we're paying this guy a lot of money um, and you're not using him. So why, why are we continuing to pay him a lot of money? Uh, you know, I talked about the salary cap before. Uh, you know, we don't know what it's going to come down to, but for the first time in I don't know how long, it's not going to go up. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly a lot of these contracts that were signed over the last few years, they were all signed assuming that the salary cap was going to go up you know, maybe 10 million bucks like it has every year for the last 10 years. So, um, you know, I certainly get it. I understand. Uh, with that being said, I think I'm worth every dime of my contract. That doesn't mean that I'm used to my potential and I'm used to do what I do well. Um, so, you know, it will be interesting over the next few months. Like I said, I, I have three years left on my contract. Um, I don't want to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, somehow become a pretty decent blocker because I've yeah. been forced to. Um, it certainly wasn't something that I ever did well at any point in my career, you know, maybe in high school because I was just bigger than everyone else. But even then, like, I just wanted to run around and catch balls. Um, so over the last few years, like when, you know, I early on last last season, it was like the writing was on the wall. I saw where our offense was going. I had like seven or eight catches in the first six games I mean it was just absurd and I was literally blocking all the time Mm -hmm. um obviously as a tight end you're going to block in the run game um that's something that I've always had to work at it's not something that comes easy to me but for me it's always been important to be a complete tight end and not somebody that they have to put out wide or put on the backside of the formation or you know run a RPO type slant drag like someone's gonna have to cover you so instead of you blocking we'll make them cover you because you can't block mm-hmm. um, I've always prided myself on not being one of those guys um, but like I said you go back to the beginning of last season and I'm like okay I've got one of two things here I can either get really good at the only thing I'm asked to do um, or I, I can complain about it and I can you know cause a scene throw a fit Um, you know, what's going to be more productive for our team and for this organization. And, um, you know, I've always leaned on older guys that played well before me or that I played with. Um, And and Tony Gonzalez is obviously the the best that's ever played my position. In my opinion, it's it's not even close for second. The career that he had, the longevity, I mean, he retired after having 91 catches. It's like he still went to the Pro Bowl in year 17 and was like, you know what, like, I remember talking to him about it. He was like, I was an alternate this year. Like, I didn't get voted into the Pro Bowl, so like, it's time for me to hang it up. And <laughs> I was just like, it's absurd. And so like, I've always kind of relied on Tony. And you know, I remember calling him being like, hey, like, here's the deal. Like, All I want to do is run around and catch a ball. And like, I don't even get to do that on pass plays. Like, I'm in pass protection now. Yeah. And you know, we get down in the red zone. I made a living on and making catches in the red yeah. zone, catching balls. I'm not even getting the run routes. I'm pass protecting on pass plays. Um, and he's like, well, you know, what are you going to do about it? Like, are you going to work to become good at something that you've historically not been great at? Or are you going to just complain about it? And, you know, honestly, from that point on, it was like, he was right. Like, 
let's see if I can't go out here and mess around and get good at something that I've been criticized for my whole career. And, you know, it's been what I don't do well. Uh, now here we are two years later and, you know, even around the building, you know, guys upstairs will joke around with me like, you've messed around and you've become a good blocker. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're out there, like we talked about before, your film is your resume. So am I going to put out shitty film because I don't, I'm doing something I don't necessarily want to do? Or am I going to be now like, you know, who knows what happens moving forward, but I certainly can stand firm on my film. Everyone knows I can run around and catch balls. Right. And now they can watch and be like, well, actually a decent blocker too. Right. Um, so with all that being said, you know, I, I certainly hope I'm here for that parade. You know, that that's the only reason I want to do this. I've had multiple opportunities to get the free agency and it's never been appealing to me because I don't want to be anywhere else but here. Um, to go somewhere else, um, contend for a championship on a team that's already won championships, it's not appealing to me. Like I want to be on the first team that wins one here because mm -hmm. I know what that would mean to this state, to our organization, to every guy that's played before us. You know, I think about, um, you know, I mentioned Greenway a couple times, yourself, uh, Steve Hutchinson, guys that were around when I was around, and then even the guys that are around that played well before me, the John Randalls of the world, um, just everyone would be a part of that first championship, whether you're on the team or not. That's just how this organization is. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a huge family, a huge fraternity. Um, with that being said, I want to be a reason why we win this championship. That's I, true. I don't want to just be a swing tackle. Um, you know, that that's, that's not what I do well. Uh, I mean, like I said, I've worked really hard at it, and I think I've become pretty good at it. Um, but it's certainly not a reason why we can win a championship. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's totally fair because, <clears throat> you know, it's kind of like if you're a guy that ends up on IR and you miss the last few games of the season, you miss the playoffs, team goes on and wins a Super Bowl, it's kind of a hollow Super Bowl. <sighs> you know, you, you're, on, you're on the team, uh, you get a ring, you get to celebrate – but what an empty feeling to feel like you didn't contribute or didn't feel productive in those wins. And so I, I 100% agree with you. Like, um, it, and that's why it's like you're you're in a really interesting situation because you've seen you've seen where they've been asked you asked of you to mm -hmm. to like get on the field. Okay, maybe more as a blocker. You've done a phenomenal job of like developing, which is hard to do. I. I want to give every every veteran credit that um, it, it truly is the old adage of like, can you teach an old dog new tricks? Mm -hmm. And and for a lot of guys, they can't do it. And I think yeah. pride kind of gets in a lot in a way of a lot of that stuff. You mm -hmm. you kind of get this sense of like, well, yeah, maybe I am just too old to learn how to do that, or maybe I don't want to. Maybe it's an ego thing. I'm like, yeah. no, fuck that. I'm you not that. To. I'm not that. But that guy. And for the for the veterans that learn how to do something new, I mean, that takes way more mental toughness than mm -hmm. people realize. And so you've done that. You've you've shown this organization that you're willing to do that, be a team player. But also there's that side of you that there is that that ego side that says, like, I want to bring this team a championship, but I also want to be a part of that championship. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I get relegated to you know, savvy vet that's helping out the younger guys in the tight end room, almost kind of like a player coach. Yeah, it's satisfying, but I want to be the dude that's making that one-handed catch in the end zone mm -hmm. at in the Super Bowl. You yeah. know, I want to I want to have put my mark and my stance on that win. So I, you know, I, I um, I love the fact that you have that perspective. And to that point, I, we all get to that point in our career. 
you know, you, you, everyone gets to the end of their career and some of us are fortunate enough to have a few years where that's our role. And it's like, you know, I'm around, um, you know, maybe not contributing as much on the field as I once did. Um, but I certainly bring a lot to this team and, you know, whether that's being a player coach type, you know, like I think about Jason Witten in Oakland this past year, the success that the young tight ends had in that room. I certainly think Jason played a huge part in that and Mm -hmm. just having the mentor that they had in that room. Um, you know, I think about Chad and what he did his last couple of years here with AB and EK. And, um, you know, he wasn't playing the hundred percent of the snaps that he played most of his career. He's playing more like 25% of the snaps, but he was certainly a huge part of our team. And, and what he brought to our organization was far more measurable than the statistics on the field. I'm not at that point in my career yet. I, like I said uh, to you prior to this, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel way better at 30, 31 than I did in my mid twenties. Um, I'm not in the twilight of my career where I see the end anytime soon. Um, You know, here I am at 31 years old with, in my opinion, a lot of good football left when given an opportunity. Um, So, you know, to that, like, yes, that is a valuable part of every team. You have to have those guys. I'm not ready to be that guy yet. Um, you know, at some point, you know, if I was four or five years older, you know, like I said, at the twilight of my career, by all means, like, let me hang out with the guys, like, you know, play 20, 30 snaps a game. I'll block whoever you want. That's what Jim Kleinsaucer did for me my rookie year. Yeah. You know, Jim went out there and blocked Tom Bali and Justin Houston. I remember playing the Chiefs and our tackles couldn't block him. So Jim just went out there and blocked them. Um, and that, like you said, that's a want to thing. And, for me, it was a lot of pride as well, but it was more pride the other way that I'm too proud to put out shitty films. So if this is what you're going to have me do, this is what you're going to ask me to do, I'm going to make sure that I don't look bad doing it. Um, so, you know, to your point, like, I'm just not at that point in my career yet. So then what? let's play the hypothetical game then. Let's say three years left on your on your career, on your contract, and the Vikings come back this offseason and say, Obviously, you understand the cap situation. Uh, you understand where we're at. Uh, we got to start looking at some low-hanging fruit. Um, we want to keep you around. Um, let's rework your contract and however manipulations they can mm-hmm. to make it team friendly. Um, but we still, but but your role is going to basically be the same. You know, you're going to be more of the blocker. Um, you know, we'll work in on some on some pass plays, probably some red zone stuff. But basically the way that the the last quarter of the season played out, that's what we want your role to be for all of 2021. What say you? Yeah, it wouldn't happen. Um, mm. You know, it's like I said, you only get to play this game for so many years. And I feel like I have a lot of good football left. So, you know, now we fast forward. I've played these three years on my contract and I'm now 33, 34. And they're like, hey, we want to keep you around for a couple of years at a much lower number. But, you know, we want you to do X, Y and Z, help these young guys out. Sign me up. Like, We want you to be the tight end coach and the blocking tight end. All right, cool. I'm in. Sign me up. But like I said, at, at 31, with how I feel physically, with, you know, knowing what I still can do, um, you know, it's funny because I always look at things from both sides. So it's like, you know, you, when you don't put up statistics that you are accustomed to, you try to figure out why. Like, you know, it's like, man, is it – am I not running routes as good as I used to? Like, am I not as fast as I once was? Like, you know, what's the deal here? And I kind of laugh because 
I've never been fast. So yeah. it's always funny when people are like, oh, Rudy can't run anymore. It's like, Rudy's never been able to run. <laughs> but yet he's still been to the Pro Bowl twice and, you know, put right. up 80-plus catches in a season. So it's like, oh, no, I, I actually probably would argue that I run better now than then because, like I said, I, you learn your body. I, I'm in the best shape I've ever been in. And actually, Zim has said so himself, and he never gives anyone a compliment. So, right. you know, Zim is on record. You know, I go back to the last two training camps. They talk about how well Rudy's running around and how good he looks. And he doesn't say that just to say it. Right. You know, he never gives compliments. Most of the time he's getting on to me about that I can't block Daniil and Everson. So, right. you know, for him to say that, it's like, all right, you know, maybe I still can run. So then you look at too, like, so what is it? And it's, it's simp- simply a lack of opportunities. Like I said before, in the past we get in the red zone, you know, I'm the one getting the targets. I I need to go back and check, but I believe I had one ball hit my hands in the end zone this year. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't in the end zone. It was kind of out of the back of the end zone, but it was the only one that came, so I had to grab it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like I, I can't sign up for that again. You know, yeah. I, I just – you know, am I going to all of a sudden derail my career with a lot of football left? Because you know how it goes. You get into your early 30s, everyone just assumes you're they done. Assume, yeah. You're old. You're over 30. You can't do it anymore. Well, if I just block every play, the other 31 teams are going to assume that as well because, like I said, we talked about the practice squad guys. They don't get to see practice. Right. So they don't get to see me run routes on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday when I am running around well. All they see is the film from Sunday and – I'm just blocking six techniques and outside linebackers every play. Right. And I don't know if you knew this, but looking at your your career stats, this was the most productive year you've ever had when it comes to yards per reception. Mm-hmm. You had 11, almost 12 yards per reception. That's the highest of your career. Mm-hmm. Now, you can look at it and say your receptions were down, but to your point about um, – was I ever blazing fast? No. Yeah. But this is the most productive that you've been after the catch in your mm-hmm. career. So, um, you know, if somebody's looking at that from a as, as an analytics standpoint, they're like, well, can Rudy still play? Well, like, well, statistically, you look at his career, it's the best he's ever done per catch. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things that I've taken pride in the last few years is, um, you know, you look at earlier in my career when I was putting up significantly high numbers – uh, my targets were way up too. Um, I think this is the third year in a row that I've been above 70, 75, 80%. You know, eight out of 10 times you throw me the ball, I'm catching it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's important. Like, yeah, great. You had 83 catches, but you had 125 targets. Um, you know, so when we are throwing you the ball, whether it's intended or not based on the play, if the ball's coming your way, are you catching it? Right. Um, so, you know, you look at numbers this year, and although significantly down than any year before, you know, eight out of ten times you threw it to me, it was, like you said, almost 12 yards. Yeah. Um, Your efficiency rate was high. Exactly. It's always been and high. It, it's when the ball doesn't come as often as you're used to, you know, people ask, get brought up all the time, like, how do you keep making these catches in the end zone? It's like, because I don't know when the ball's coming. Yeah. <laughs> I, I so you, you focus yeah. a lot harder. You know, you're like, you're getting the ball eight, ten times a game. You know, that one ball that kind of sails over your head, you might not catch it. You might stick your hand up and it sticks perfect. Great, unbelievable catch. But when that might be the only ball that's coming on Sunday afternoon, you're going to do everything you can to catch it. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and you've made, I mean, highlight reel after highlight reel. It's been amazing. I mean, well, your fucking hands are huge, so there's, there's that. I it mean, certainly helps. <laughs> it certainly helps. <laughs> you put those those gloves on. Those, sometimes you wear the white gloves. Like, good God, man! All I can see is this big white mitts running around. I mean, you got huge hands. It certainly helps. That's that is one thing that I and I have nothing to back this up. Nothing. And maybe this is a really stupid ob- observation. And I saw it. Um, I forget what Super Bowl it was. Let's just say like three or four years ago, they were honoring all these Hall of Famers at, um, I think it was before the game. And they all come walking down the tunnel with their with their gold jackets on and they all just wave to the camera. Every single one of them. I don't care what position you played. Gigantic hands. Mitts. Just huge Just mitts. mitts. Yeah. I mean, quarterback, receiver, certainly offense and defensive line. Yeah. Like those guys, I mean, we're talking almost 11-inch hands, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Je- I'm like, is there something to that? Like, yeah. is there something to like Hall of Fame players and in like elite, I mean, maybe not even Hall of Fame, but elite level NFL players all have a metric of mm-hmm. hand size that translate to success. It's funny you say that because at the the Vikings Museum down yeah, there, yeah. Egan, they have like the little display of the footballs with yeah, the all molds the of the guys with their mold of their hand that are in the Ring of Honor, and like you go down that thing and like put your hands in, in some of those displays and just again the the mitts on these guys, oh you know, the Johnny Randalls, the Mick Tinglehoffs, Ron Yeary. I mean, just massive and like you said i have pretty big hands like i remember at the combine doing the whole measurement test yeah. and you know it was like 11 inches or something from the tip of my thumb to the tip of my pinky and you have 11 inch hands yeah whoa so and it, it, you could stretch a little bit on the rule yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. um so it's like i always think back like when i was a kid and you go to the the wide world of sports and disney it has like Shaq's hand on on a basketball and it's just massive uh, so that's to your point, like you look at all the guys in the Ring of Honor that played for this team and go down to the museum, put your hand in their hand and just see how massive it is. Yeah, he, like Chris Carter, right? Yep. You know, physically not a huge guy, you know, he's like, what, 6'2", mm-hmm. you know? He's not like super tall, but like he's got the hands of like a 6'6 six, six guy, 6'7 yeah. guy. Like Another guy that's like that is Diggsy. Oh, Lit- does he have big hands? Huge. Like little guy, you know, I mean, he, he – I don't even know that he's six. Oh, I think he's under six foot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If he said he's six feet, I, I would probably chuckle at first. And, yeah. Um, but just, I mean, huge mitts. Uh, and yeah, it's certainly at those positions, you know, receiver, offense, defense, line. You're, you're you're always grabbing quarterback. Quarterback. You know, people people yeah. always will. That kind of probably the most scrutinized position when a guy goes to the combine and he comes out hand with like size. nine and three quarter inch yeah. hands. They're like, well, can he hold on to the ball in the rain? Or what about he can't play yeah. in the cold weather because yeah. the snow, like, yeah, it is what it is. Obviously, you see guys kind of defy these metrics that we talk about all the time. But yeah, there probably is something to it. God, I, I would imagine if you did an analysis of every Hall of Fame quarterback, I bet you they all have 10 inch hands. Mm hmm. Maybe Drew Brees, maybe, but Drew, I think even has big hands. Probably he might be not the tallest guy in the world, but I bet yeah, he's... I, I think he even has kind of big, big mitts. Um, all right, that's, we're kind of we're kind of winding down here. I know we've taken up a lot of time, but I do want to I do want to touch on this. And you're you're clearly not in a mindset to even think about about post football career. But let's mm-hmm. just say fast forward. Let's say you're 40 years old. You know, I'm 42. Let's just say like. Most likely, as a tight end, you're not going to be playing until you're 40. God bless you if you yeah. are. I mean, it'd be amazing, right? 40 years old. Where, where's Kyle Rudolph, and what is he doing? Yeah, we're. I mean, this is home for us. Um, we're in Minnesota for life. Um, 
been here for a decade and you know like I said if it was up to me I, I would never leave um when you want to play the game as long as I want to play the game, the odds of being in one place for 10 years certainly barely ever happens. Then you get 12, 15, 17. There aren't many guys outside of franchise quarterbacks that stay in one place. And even then, you look at Tom Brady. He's in one place for 20 years, yeah. and, and he still wants to play, so he goes and plays somewhere else. So it's just it's unlikely that there won't be a stop somewhere else. I certainly hope not. I'd mm-hmm. love to be here for the next five to seven years and, and play like Jason Witten without the retirement and coming back to the right. Raiders, um, just retiring. Um, but yeah, we're Minnesota is home for us. You know, our, our kids are going to grow up here, go to school here. Uh, we hope that we can continue to have the impact on the community that we've had while playing here far beyond my playing years. Um, like we just, we love this community so much. We love the twin cities. We love living here. Um, you know, I'm excited to, to be here when I'm 40 and be retired and on the golf course and on Lake I knew you were going to mention golf. Like that's, that's, that's where I'm at. And, uh, there's just so much to love about this place. And, you know, I'll have to find something to keep me busy. I'm sure it'll be working on my golf game. Um, but yeah, it's, I see ourselves here. Do you see yourself because you're you're a passionate guy? Um, I don't see your I don't see you truly retiring and just being like, yeah, I'll just kind of go with the wind and whatever. I'll just run the kids to different activities. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll coach my kids with something here and there. I think I have a feeling that your personality is going to get you into something. And you're yeah. going to attack it like you you have your career. Um, would you attack something like like golf like that? Like, yeah. you, would would you look at yourself and say? I want to try this and see if I can be like an amateur golfer, you know, and, and maybe work my way up into actually like a semi-pro professional golfer. I, I'm so far behind all the guys that, you know, grew up playing. and um, But to that point, like golf is a game that you never master. And um, I already find myself now like so addicted to improving, um, you know, I, I've over the last few years I've hovered between an eight and a ten handicap. You know, obviously in Minnesota for us, we go to training camp in July. You put the clubs away. You're not picking them up again unless you go on vacation somewhere in February, March, maybe early April. Uh, so here we are, late April. It's like all right, I can get my clubs out and start over again yeah. this year. Um, but with that being said, you know, certainly in retirement. Um, you know, you're always chasing improvement. And that's something that I love about golf so much is it's like, can I go from a 10 to an eight, from an eight to a four, from a four to a scratch? Like, um, so, you know, that's certainly a goal that I have post football is, you know, how good of a golfer can I become? And like you said, you, you, you're always going to be chasing something. something. And, and certainly that's my personality. Like, um, you know, I'm going to have something that I have to do. It certainly won't just be being, uh, you know, Mr. Mom at home and running the kids to activities. Like, it's just not my personality. Um, so golf will certainly be something that keeps me busy and, and I'm constantly chasing becoming a scratch golfer. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever put any thought into this, but um, there's something about your aura, your personality um, that – I, I see you being at some point in time a, a true high-end high school football coach. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know if you have coaching in your blood or you want to do it, but 
I don't know what it is. I, I kind of see you with like this headset on yeah. and, uh, and, and just sort of leading a group of young high schoolers, whether it's out in Minnetonka or some other school. But mm-hmm. like, I don't know. There's something about it. I'm like, I could see that son of a bitch. Like, you know, <laughs> when he's retired in eight, yeah. ten years, all of a sudden he's Coaching in. Coaching Henry at Orno High School. Yeah, he's, huh. he's like at U.S. Bank Stadium leading his team to the state championship. Like, and it'll be like, no, nope, that doesn't shock me at all. You know, and I, I don't know what retirement holds for me. You know, I one thing that jumped out to me early in my career through like the player development meetings that we have with Les Pico, um, oftentimes they're extremely boring and, you know, excruciatingly long. Um, And the guys that are paying attention are the guys that probably don't need to be in there. And the guys that aren't paying attention are the ones that end up, you know, in trouble when their career ends before they thought and they're not ready for that transition. But one of the things that always stuck out to me in in those meetings uh, that I still hold with me now 10 years later was, you know, sitting there as a, for me, 21-year-old rookie, like just drafted to the NFL, dream come true. And we have a speaker and and he tells us like, you got, you have to have the end in mind now and you need to start planning for your transition out of this game. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, what are you talking about? Like, I just got here. Like, how about I dedicate my time and energy to staying here? Right. And, you know, to that though, like as each and every year went by, it became more and more relevant as, you're right. Like there are so many things I can do as a current player that will help prepare me for life after football instead of when I'm done playing, it's, I haven't done anything throughout my career to figure out what I want to do. Let's figure it out now. Like nobody wants to help a former player that's done nothing to, to set themselves up post football because, you know, I, I say it all the time. People are like, Oh no, that's not true. But I'm like the most irrelevant person is a former player. There's a million, a hundred percent, a million former players and everyone, you know, when they're done playing now, they're like, all right, can you give me that opportunity? Or it's like, well, no, like, you, you know, you didn't take advantage of it five years ago yep. when we wanted to kind of like start grooming you into that opportunity. So whether it be broadcasting, coaching, um, you know, front office, I have no idea what I want to do. I know certainly like the game of football will, will be with me forever. Um, but on what level, like I have no idea. Will, will it be coaching Orno High School when when Henry gets there? Like I have no idea. Yeah. Will it be coaching my girls um, basketball or you know I certainly can't coach them in golf. But um, you know like will it just be like, all right, Dad's your biggest fan. Like I'm gonna follow you on every golf course or uh, every tennis court, basketball, whatever you want to do. Like I'm here. I don't know, like, but I do know that sports have played such a huge role in my life that it would be hard for me when I retire, hang up the cleats to be like, all right, that's just it for sports. Like, I'm done. I'm yeah. walking away. Yeah. Especially the game of football. Like, I think the game of football will be a part of my life forever, just yeah. because I love it so much more than just as being a player. Yeah, and well, and there's there's just so many avenues to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many whether you're. Um, a coach or um, an advisor, um, you know, you're you're either a youth coach or you stay within the NFL or college, um, you know, talking about it from a broadcasting side. Yeah. Like, who from, knows? Maybe I'll be hanging out with here and in, in here with dude, you. I love it. That'd be it. And that and that's the thing. Like, you, I would say going back to the advice that uh, that you got in those player personnel meetings or player development meetings, all the same stuff happened when when I was going through. And I, I'm like. Every just call it youth. Everybody's kind of looks at it and goes, "Yeah, I'll worry about that when I need to worry about it." Mm-hmm. And and I think there's a delicate balance between the between the two because I 
I was, I'm a one track minded type of guy. Like I don't, I don't multitask very well at an, at an excellent level. Like I can probably multitask and get some stuff done, Mm -hmm. but if I'm going to multitask and I want to be really good at something, I need to put everything into that. And, and that's the way I felt and, and, and call it, you know, whatever is a self doubt or whatever it was when I was a young player, but like, nah, when my career is over, I'll worry about it then. I need to pour everything that I can into just making the team yeah, and like surviving mm-hmm. and then and then thriving in those situations. So I was like everybody else. I didn't think about that stuff. But I do think that there is – the advice should be something like here are the statistics. The careers are short. I'm not saying that you have to go out and jump into an internship in the offseason. But open up to your mind – open up your mind and start asking yourself what – am I excited about outside of football? Yeah. Or maybe it's within football. You know, like what gets me excited that I can, I can carry the same amount of passion that I have for making this team into something else. Mm-hmm. And I think it doesn't have to be answered in year one or year two, but as long as you open up your mind to like, um, not saying like the mortality rate of my NFL career, like I know that's going to come. I don't need to focus on me not playing, but like, okay, what? Well, Let's just open my eyes, open my ears to like, hey, do I enjoy the financial world? Okay, if so, do I need to do I need to take advantage of some of those off season NFL um, you know boot camps yeah. that they do? Um, I, that's the advice that I would give to young players is like, that's fine, dude. Mm-hmm. If you, you need to, you need to put a hundred percent effort and focus into making the team and being the best football player, fine, great. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, you're going to have a lot of time from the end of the season till April to do a lot of reflection, and mm-hmm. in that time. It's a big disservice, even in year one, if you don't start thinking about like, what do I, what do I get excited about? Yeah. You know, and then maybe that's what ends up becoming your your post football career. Um, it's it's certainly a a weird um, and a fine line between how much attention you put on it. Absolutely. Like that. And, and to your point, we have so you know, your, your first January after your rookie year. You have three and a half months before you come back <laughs> and, and, and report. So it's like. Yes, like I was the same way. Like I'm sitting there in that meeting, you know, like think about post football. Like how about I dedicate all my time and energy to staying in football for as long as possible? And I certainly like what good does it do me if I, you know, dedicate time and energy to what I want to do post football? All that's going to do is accelerate when I get to that point. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was 100% of that mindset as well. But I do think as I got older and, you know, you have that first offseason where you have so much free time to grow as a person far beyond growing as a football player. Um, you know, what avenues does that lead you down? What what are you passionate about? What are you excited about? Um, what can you bring energy to? It, it really opened my eyes to then, I think what he meant to say was, football will open so many doors for you while you're playing. Yes. So you make so many relationships, you meet so many people that are willing to help you because you're a current player. And there's nothing more irrelevant than a former player because then every former player is now knocking on this person's door asking for help. Mm -hmm. But when you're a current player, you have opportunities to grow and build relationships that it doesn't take time and energy away from you dedicating all your time and energy to becoming a better football player. But it will certainly continue to to foster opportunities that will then allow you to make a smoother transition from football into whatever it is you decide to do and I think you like I said you don't realize that as you're sitting in these meetings usually during your rookie season when you're just like overwhelmed with everything 
Uh, but then you do get to take that deep breath after your rookie year, and you're like, wow, I've got so much time, and, and I can't possibly just go work out every day. No, and no. It's, so, um, you know, I certainly have, have taken a lot of pride in, you know, building a lot of really, really solid, great relationships that uh, will hopefully help me post-football. Yeah, you're you're 100% correct, and I, I, I openly admit my – my biggest regret and my biggest mistake as a player was not taking advantage of those open doors, mm-hmm. you know, not taking advantage of networking. You know, when you get done, you don't realize well, you do realize how quickly that 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 former in front of your name um, is is a big deterrent. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, if that door was wide open when you're a player, now it's just kind of cracked when you're a former player. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I, I remember you. Yeah, you used to play for the Vikings. And and um, sure, you know, let's we can have a cup of coffee. But when you're a, a, a current player and they can't wait to have that. Cup yeah, of coffee. they can't wait to have that cup of coffee. Then it's like, hey, what do you want to do for us? Yeah. Hey, what are you interested in? Hey, uh, you know what? Here, here at 3M, we we have these programs and we whatever. And it's like, man, they throw those opportunities at you. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a former player, like, yeah, well, what do you like to do? And you're like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I don't never really thought about it. But I like football a lot. Yeah. Um. So it's um. It is um. I hate that it's a learning curve and it's a, a learning cycle. I think that the NFL has to deal with every yeah. single year that we have to have the same conversations and whatever. But, um, you know. Bollinger and I, Brooks Bollinger and I, and 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 Chad and Jim Kleinsaucer, and we we all like kind of talked about how we didn't do a good enough job of networking mm-hmm. when we're playing, and um, you know you're always trying to play catch up, and that's that is the one thing of advice that uh, I would give to to active players, and that's obviously something that you already you already understand. Yeah, and I think one of the things too, like you know, not you know, the guys that you named, like not everyone's as fortunate as we are to have ten years to figure that out, right? Um, you know, you look, you talk about the cycle in the NFL and, you know, we had 10 years to figure it out. And, you know, by year six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you're like, oh man, like I, now I know what I should be doing. And, and now I can take advantage of these relationships that I've built in terms of growing them. And, and really, yeah, I don't know what I want to do now, but they can certainly help me and, and we can figure this out together. Most guys are already out of the league for two or three years at that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they certainly didn't have time to figure it out because they had one, two, three years. You know, obviously three and a half is the average career in the NFL, and then they're gone. Yeah. And, you know, college degree or not, it's like, well, if you have a college degree, that's great, but you just missed three years of work experience that everyone else you graduated oh, yeah. with has. Oh, yeah. Um, and then if you don't have a college degree, you know, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to go back to school? Now you're either four or five years removed from when you should have graduated and everyone else your age has graduated. So it is a tough cycle to break. It's it's hard and it becomes a gigantic hurdle and a gigantic barrier because it seems very overwhelming for guys that transition out because everything that you just said, like, well, all my buddies are either upper management or vice presidents of some, some, something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and whatever they've elevated their status because they've been working the last yeah. 10, 12, 15 years. And now I'm starting at ground zero. And then your ego kicks in. You're like, what you want me to be like the male guy? Yeah. Like right. what? You want me to start at the ground level? I'm like, well, yeah, but that's how it's yeah. done. You're like, yeah, but I just I just played ten years in the league. Like, I'm just going to be down at this at this lower level status. Like, yeah. But that's sometimes that's what it takes, and it's a hard pill to swallow. But um, anyway, we could uh, we could wax poetic about this all uh, for the next few hours. But I want to cut this thing off. Um, you've been fantastic. Um, you've been. I, I will say this that. No matter where your career ends up, I think everybody that listens, um, that are Vikings fans, 
will always appreciate the legacy that you've built here. You know, you've played the game the right way. Uh, you and your wife, Jordan, and your, and your family do amazing things in our community. Uh, you've done outstanding things. You will, and it sounds like you'll continue to do great things mm-hmm. for the for the Children's Hospital uh, at the University of Minnesota. Um, so for that, I, I do want to say thank you um, on behalf of the fans and everybody listening that um, you've been a great representation and example. And and I and I think a lot of guys that come in after you are going to say, I want to play the game the right way like Kyle Rudolph did and, and make amazing one-handed catches <laughs> along the way. So uh, so thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And I certainly hope it's not the end of my time in Minnesota. Yeah, we, we all hope so. Um, so, again, everybody, thanks for listening. This is Unrestricted. Uh, you can find us on iHeart, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I want to thank uh, Douglas and Todd Bourbon. You can find that at douglasandtodd.com. There's a store locator on there. So if you want to find uh, Minnesota's favorite bourbon, um, you can find it close to you. Pick and Shovelware. I want to thank pickandshovelware.com. Uh, it's 20% off your first order if you use the promo code LIBER. That's L-E-B-E-R, 20, 20% off your first order. Uh, and also Wexford Harbor Insurance. Uh, Pat Kelly and his staff, um, they have everything you need. Um, Wholesale guy that will work with 40 different companies to find the best fit and value for you. That's Wexford-Harbor, H-A-R-B-O-U-R.com slash unrestricted to contact those guys for all of your insurance needs. So thank you, everybody. And uh, don't forget to like and comment on the podcast section. Uh, That's always great to get the feedback. As always, be gentle on thin-skinned. See ya. Bye.